Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. As always, I am Bryson Carver. We have got an absolutely packed show for you guys tonight. Uh, it is November, uh, but it's, it still feels like October because we got NBA to talk about, the Kyrie Irving situation, some more developments in that, the World Series, my Houston Astros, at least for the time being. I, I've, I'm an adopted Astros fan because... Any team facing Philadelphia, I'm in favor of, unless you're, of course, the New York Yankees, which, thank God, is not the case. But Astros are up 3-2 in the World Series. I'll discuss that as basically why I'm not that surprised through the first five games in terms of how it has played out, uh, as, as well as how I think the series could play out from here. we got Game 6 tomorrow night. Astros could clinch it. Philly's hoping to, to force a Game 7 in Houston. Um, also, the, the, the whole situation with... Uh, with uh, uh, Tennessee, Georgia, which I'll predict at the end of the show. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to getting into that. We, we Listen, we got a lot to talk about today. Eagles stay undefeated, okay? Texans gave them a good effort, which I thought they would. I did not think Philadelphia would cover that gargantuan 13.5-point spread. Uh, you know, I, I figured Houston would put up an effort, but I think Houston exposed something. Houston, Texas, not the Astros. The Texans exposed something that Philadelphia is going to have trouble with moving forward. I'll talk about that later in the show as well. And of course, the end of the show, which I always do on Friday. Week 9 NFL predictions. We are halfway through the 2022 NFL regular season. I've got my upset of the week. I've got my, if I were a betting man, my favorite segment of the week. And of course, Bryson's Bleak Bet, which is the uh, segment that I debuted this season, which I went 3-0 and on all three last week. I had a great week going 12-3, and so I feel great about my picks coming into this week. And I'm 1-0. Thank you very much, Philadelphia Eagles. But first, no, we got to start, folks. Kyrie Irving. So, about an hour after the show ended, uh, Sham Sharania tweeted that the Nets have, quote, suspended Kyrie Irving at least five games without pay. And the Nets released a statement uh, for why they did this. They said, over the, last, over, over the last several days, we have made repeated attempts to work with Kyrie Irving to help him understand the harm and danger of his words and actions, which began with him publicizing a film containing deeply disturbing anti-Semitic hate. We believe, we believe that taking the path of education in this challenging situation would be the right one and thought that we have made progress with our uh, joint commitment to eradicating hate and intolerance. We were dismayed today when given an opportunity in a media session that Kyrie refused to unequivocally say 
that he has no anti-Semitic beliefs nor acknowledged specific hateful material in the film. This was not the first time he had the opportunity, but failed to clarify. Such failure to disavow anti-Semitism when given a clear opportunity to do so is deeply disturbing, is against the values of our organization, and constitutes con conduct detrimental to the team. Accordingly, we are of the view that he is currently unfit to be associated with the Brooklyn Nets. We have decided that Kyrie will serve a suspension without pay until he sat uh, satisfies a series of objective remedial measures that addresses the harmful impact of his conduct, and the suspension period served is no less than five games. So you have all this situation uh, uh, playing out, and it, it's in Kyrie Irving, by the way, himself uh, put out a statement on Instagram. He said, quote, while doing research, I posted a documentary that contained some false anti-Semitic narratives, statements, and language that were untrue and offensive to the Jewish race and religion, and I take full accountability and responsibility uh, for my actions. I am grateful to have a big platform to share knowledge, and I want to move forward by having an open dialogue to learn more and grow from this. To all Jewish families and communities that are hurt and affected by my post, I am deeply sorry to have caused you pain, and I apologize. I initially reached out of emotion to being an unjustly labeled anti-Semitic instead of focusing on the healing process of my Jewish brothers and sisters that were hurt from the hateful remarks made in the documentary. I want to clarify any confusion on where I stand fighting against anti-Semitism by apologizing for posting the documentary without context and a factual explanation outlining the specific beliefs in the documentary that I agreed with and disagreed with. I had no intentions to disrespect any Jewish cultural history regarding the Holocaust or perpetuate any hate. I am learning from this unfortunate event and hope we can find understanding between us all. I am no different than any other human being. I am a seeker of truth and knowledge, and I know who I am. Kyrie. So that's what we got. For both sides, from the Nets, from Kyrie Irving, that's what we have after the news came out that he is serving at least a five-game suspension. This, of course, according to Sham Sharani of The Athletic, who does, obviously, a tremendous job uh, at, you know, reporting. But what I took from this is, first of all, the Nets are being reactionary uh, as opposed to jumping out right off the bat and suspending Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving also is being reactionary in that if there is no suspension last night, folks, if this tweet by Sham Sharani or Woj or whoever your, your favorite source is, is not sent out, at least five-game suspension, you think Kyrie puts out an apology? Just earlier in the day, he did not apologize when given the opportunity by numerous reporters for the Brooklyn Nets. Say, hey, you know, could you want to clarify? Do you want to apologize? He basically said, nah, no, 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 I really, really don't. Never issued an apology at the press conference when he had a, you know, all the microphones in front of him, all the cameras, all the reporters, all the media members right in front of him, never apologized until the punishment came down. And I'm always very skeptical anytime that apology is issued after a punishment has been given. Are you sorry for what you did, or are you sorry that you got caught in what, well, not necessarily caught because he wasn't trying to do it secretly, but are you, are you are you sorry that you are being punished for your actions? I was doing more research on this film. You know, Kyrie talks about he, he he does research. I was doing more research on this film, folks. Not only, which I mentioned yesterday, was there a quote falsely attributed to Adolf Hitler as if that was a good thing, <laughs> it also makes the claim that the Holocaust never happened. And this is what Kyrie Irving was promoting on social media platforms. And I also called Kyrie Irving out yesterday because he has 
over the course of the last, I don't know, at least vocally over the last four, five-ish years, something like that, been very, very adamant uh, about speaking against racial injustice. Great. All for it. But you cannot say if you're Kyrie Irving or for anybody else who kind of goes in this group where you are adamantly against the injustice of one people group who is being, uh, you know, treated poorly and turn a blind eye and not just ignore, but speak against another marginalized group, whether it be black people, whether it be Asians, uh, Jewish people, the LGBTQ plus community, women, doesn't matter who it is, whatever marginalized group of people that we are talking about, you can't be all all for the rights for one, can care less about one of the others. Can't do it. If you are truly, uh, to, to you know, not to be too cliche here, but if you are truly for liberty and justice for all, it's got to be all. I always say, I always, I, like on my show, I always try to stay away from all or nothing on my show because those are very strong words. But if you are, if, if in this case, are you truly for liberty and justice for all? Through Kyrie's actions, no. Doesn't seem that way. As a matter of fact, it seems so, uh, uh, not fabricated, but it seems so disingenuous of Kyrie Irving to donate half a million dollars to was it the Anti-Defamation League or some um, it was some uh, Jewish uh, company. They said, no, we don't want your money. They rejected him. They said, we don't want your money. You have, of course, the season ticket holder sitting courtside at the Barclays Center protesting what Kyrie Irving said. And you have a report that came out from Woj. This shows me Kyrie is not, is not sorry for what's going on. This is from Adrian Wojnarowski, the number one, along with Sham Sharania, who I, of course, detailed his tweet earlier, but probably the number one or number two NBA analyst, or not an analyst, NBA insider. For nearly a week, Joe Sy, who, by the way, is the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, for nearly a week, Joe Sy kept extending the clock to, keep, to give Irving a chance to get this right for himself, the franchise, and the Jewish community. And Irving never returned a single one of his text messages Multiple sources said. But this is who Kyrie is. The fact that I'm seeing a lot of people in the media, and I don't get it, seem to be surprised by this. Maybe surprised that Kyrie could, because we haven't necessarily seen this side of Kyrie, the, I guess, um, attacking a people group. Maybe, I mean, maybe we haven't seen that part of Kyrie before, but him being involved in a controversy because he is the enlightened one. Come on, if, if you told me there's a player on the Brooklyn Nets who's going to get in trouble with this, who would, one, not 99%, 100% people point to, oh, it's that guy who wears number 11. Yeah, he, yeah it, was, it was him. It was. Don't forget the fact that he's promoting Alex Jones out there. Earth is flat. The anti-vax stuff. The fact that he has blown up not one, not two, but three locker rooms in the National Basketball Association being the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Boston Celtics, and now the Brooklyn Nets. From what I'm looking at from the Nets' perspective, this appears possibly to be their way to move off of of Kyrie Irving. As a matter of fact, I will go so far as to say this. Kyrie has played his last game in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. 
whether they trade him, which who on earth would want to trade for him? I mean, listen, supremely gifted on the basketball court. This is a Russell Westbrook, who, by the way, off the bench has played well. Let's give Westbrook his props. But this is a situation where it's bad contract, uh, is bad in the locker room, horrible at basketball IQ, bad shooter, turns the ball over. It's not a situation. Kyrie, now Kyrie's not great defensively, but he is a supremely gifted offensive talent. The handle. He's one of the best shooters in the NBA. Okay, can get to the basket. He's the greatest. I've always said he's the greatest guard finisher at the rim that does that can't dunk on your head. Like, like a John Wall or a Westbrook or somebody. Right? We know how great Kyrie Irving is on the court. But in the locker room, heck, in terms of the addition by subtraction that it seems like has been the case everywhere he's been and left. Yeah, Kyrie left Cleveland, got traded from Cleveland to Boston. Cleveland still made the finals because they had arguably the greatest player of all time, LeBron James. Yeah, Boston, he got hurt his first year before the playoffs started. He still got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Got to a game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals, mind you. He comes back the next year. They get walloped in the second round by the Milwaukee Bucks. It, it, it It was embarrassing. An embarrassing performance by the Boston Celtics. Kyrie Irving leading the charge. Oh, his first year in Brooklyn. Yeah, they had a better record without him than with him. His second year with the Brooklyn Nets. Takes two weeks off. Doesn't tell anybody. Doesn't tell the coach. Doesn't tell his teammates. Doesn't tell the organization. Doesn't tell anybody. Just disappears out of nowhere. And then a year ago, the vaccine controversy. And now, you got the Alex Jones stuff. You got promoted the anti-Semitic movie. This isn't just some movie that, you know, just says it doesn't like Jewish people. Pe- people seem to really be minimizing what this film is promoting. It is anti-Semitic. It is white supremacy. It is essentially saying the Holocaust did not happen, which is blatantly and obviously false. And when you have a community that is, you know, been as impacted, of course, of course, by the Holocaust, but by other events, as Jewish people have been. And Kyrie seemed to think this is no big deal. So, yeah, of course, this is the punishment. Now, I think the Nets were far too late on laying down the punishment. I think Adam Silver, love Adam Silver, but I think he was late in commenting about the situation. It's unacceptable. It's it's absolutely unacceptable on the part of Kyrie. And, and again, I'm going to go and say it again. I think Kyrie has, has, has played his last game with the Brooklyn Nets. I don't think they'll trade him because I don't think anybody wants him. Maybe a bad team wants to sell tickets would. But they're probably just going to go and send him home. Because this guy, over the course of his career, it's 12 years now in the NBA, he has consistently proven to be more trouble than he's worth. It's I'm telling you, it is something every year with this guy. It's this. It's Alex Jones. Last year was the vaccine. The year before that, it was disappearing out of nowhere. I mean, it is something every single year with Kyrie Irving. And it will never cease to amaze me that Kevin Durant, very smart individual. By the way, I did not like what Kevin Durant said about Kyrie Irving, uh, basically defending him. Yeah, I'm not saying Katie's got to take a shot at Kyrie and say, oh, he's, he's the worst guy. I don't, I don't want Katie to do that. That's his teammate. 
but I do want him to condemn the statement. And KD essentially did the opposite. Now, KD clarified his his comments on social media, but he basically said, yeah, I, I, I don't think, I think it was basically too harsh what we did, Kyrie. Excuse me? So what's your viewpoints on this, KD? I'm seeing a lot of NBA players, Kyle Kuzma, saying, man, today you can't say anything today, society. Some, some folks, man, just don't get it. Some folks don't know how to think for themselves. This isn't cancel culture. Go on to Kyrie. He is promoting a film that is clearly blatantly and obviously anti-Semitic. Of the course, his career is proven to be a locker room cancer. Move off him, Brooklyn. Get it over with. Move on. And then figure out, okay, how do we satisfy Kevin Durant? How do we keep Kevin Durant here? Because if you lose Kevin Durant, now you're screwed as a franchise. Okay? But the constant coddling, enabling of this man, I think it's reached its breaking point. Got to move off Kyrie as soon as possible. Um, and honestly, I think they will. I think this is it for Kyrie in a Nets uniform. Uh, I think a lot of folks in Brooklyn will be saying the words good riddance. Because it is always something with this guy. It'll be some, whoever, wherever he is next, it's going to be something different that year too. It's, it's ridiculous. And the fact that so many people don't seem to understand why this is bad is, 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 is incredible to me. It really is. But, I mean, you don't have to be educated on religious studies. I mean, you don't. I'm not. Nope. You know, not many people are to recognize how harmful that this is. And the only time Kyrie shows remorse is when finally the Nets lay down a suspension. Because before the suspension, he was not speaking to the owner. Wouldn't respond to his text when the owner was basically saying, hey, Kyrie, just, just come out and say something. Just apologize. Didn't respond. When people, Maya Angelou, the great Maya Angelou once said, when people show you who they are, believe them. Kyrie showed us who he was a long time ago. This is just another example of just acting like he's the smartest guy in the room. And when Kyrie gets in trouble, that man stands 10 toes down and does not move off of it an inch. So he is. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to transition from that to a football game, which we did have one last night. The Philadelphia Eagles beat the Houston Texans 29-17. to I, I did see Philadelphia winning this game. Obviously, they're much significantly better than Houston. Houston's won one game. Philly has yet to lose one. But I said, okay, it's, it's 13.5 point. The Houston's a 13.5 point dog. It's a short week. They are at home for what that's worth. Okay? When, when the Texans players, they're, listen, man, it's the NFL. I mean, these, these are professional athletes. This isn't Division Two. As bad as the Houston Texans are, they're still professional NFL players. And they see that. They, players see everything. When players say, oh, I, I, you know, we just tune out the noise. No, they don't. The players see everything. Okay? And when they looked down at that line and saw, dang, they think Philly, Philadelphia has two touchdowns better than us? They were going to put up a spirited effort. Also, I think he, he had the component of, hey, Philadelphia maybe is just looking over them a little bit. Philadelphia didn't win the game. That's why, by the way, that's why I said, you know, if you're a betting man, uh, which, you know, I am not, that's that's why I always have the, the segment uh, on my show that is called. What are a betting man? If you, if you were a betting man, you would take the the uh, the Texans plus 13 and a half, uh, which Philadelphia ended up winning by 12. But 
we know how excellent Jalen Hurts has been this season. And, and, and something that I love about Jalen Hurts is, is the thing that I love about guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Dak. Every single year, you see a step in the right direction in terms of their progression as, as quarterbacks. Okay, and Lamar from year one to now, it, it doesn't even look like the same player in terms, in terms of film, in terms of his build, his accuracy, his, his, his ability to move in the pocket. We know Lamar Jackson can run. Heck, we know Josh Allen can run. Okay, Josh Allen, by the way, honestly, his rookie year, that it felt like that was all he could do well is run the football because, man, was he inaccurate. Now, I mean, he's, he's got the ball on a rope. Dak Prescott, year one to now, totally different player. And that's what I'm love what I'm seeing from Jalen Hurts. Year one, it was turnovers galore. Right? He had the offensive lineman injuries, the receiving core was beat up, and it he just struggled a little bit with, with decision making. Like he he showed you moments like, gosh, that's that, that looks pretty good. This this guy maybe can hang around in the NFL for a little bit. And then there'll be moments like, God, what are you doing? Like the, the typical sort of rookie mistakes that we see with, with young quarterbacks. Last year, you're like, okay, he clearly got better from rookie year to second year. Okay, but this is still a team. Reliant on the run game, play with the lead. Don't put him in positions to make a whole lot of mistakes. But once they were trailing by double digits against Tampa, then it became a problem and they lost, what was it, by 31 points, I think it was? Like, that game was over a quarter in. And just the gap between Hurts and then Tom Brady last year was, was substantial. And now this year, he has improved. one of my criticisms of Jalen Hurts, a lot of people who, who've listened to the show for a while or watched the show for a while know this, one of my biggest criticisms of Jalen Hurts was, man, he you see the talent. His deep ball, as I always say, dies in the air. It's not the Justin Herbert or the Aaron Rodgers or the Patrick Mahomes deep ball where it just comes beautifully out of the sky and then just nose dives right into the receiver's hands as if the quarterback ran up to them and handed them the football. Like, just perfect. Hurts deep ball, and this happened to Drew Brees at the end of his career. It's like he would throw the ball up, and then it just kind of fall. It, it wouldn't just nosedive. Per- no, it just kind of fell in the, into the receiver's arms, or in some cases, if it's thrown to the 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 inside shoulder, uh, the defensive back's arms. But Hertz has improved significantly on that. His deep ball, his accuracy, his pocket presence. Okay, he hasn't turned the football over. He's improved on that a lot since his rookie year. And so you see that with Jalen Hurts. You see that this guy has proven over the course of this year. Hey, once you give him weapons, he's got the offensive line. Sure. But we've seen a lot of quarterbacks in the past. We've seen guys like Baker Mayfield have all the pieces and can't do jack squat. Record, be that as it may, I, I get, listen, I, I know my friends at the Dallas Cowboys camp and shout out to those guys. I love them. Uh, and, and a lot of people are pointing out like, hey, come on, their schedule hasn't been that hard. I mean, their toughest games were Arizona. <laughs> Without DeAndre Hopkins, right? Okay, without DeAndre Hopkins, and they won by three. Dallas, yeah, Dallas, but with Cooper Rush. Like, you know, you have these, these games. You're like, yeah, Philadelphia should win these games. I get it. And you look at their schedule down the line. It isn't exactly a bunch of world beaters. Washington, Indianapolis, Green Bay, Tennessee could be tough. Okay, Giants could be tough. Bears, Cowboys on Christmas Eve. That'll probably be their toughest game this year. Saints, Giants again. So, it's not exactly like, like if you look at the Rams schedule, holy cow, it is brutal. Denver schedule, it's not that at all. But you can't control who you play in your schedule. That's up to the NFL and the schedule makers to decide. That, 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 that's up to them. Here's the only thing, though, with Philadelphia that I think Houston provided the blueprint on them how to beat. 
run the football. It's not sexy. It's not something that, you know, we, 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 you know, all the analysts talk about, you got to run the football, run the football. Like, oh, it's the same old thing. But it's true. Houston in this game averaged five yards a clip, ran for 168 yards. It was their commitment to run. By the way, Damian Pierce, th- this kid, Houston's got themselves a running back because in the last few years, they went through a lot of different guys. Uh, I mean, just last year, Rex Burkhead was their leading rusher. He ran for like 400 yards. Okay, th- through the first half of the season, Damian Pierce is 678. That's fourth in the NFL. Okay, this, this kid is a heck of a player. And Houston's offensive line is, is at least in run blocking, is better than people give it credit for. And you guys know I don't love, but I like Davis Mills. I just don't know if he's, he's the quarterback for the future of Houston. But that aside, to me, the Texans provide the blueprint. Run the football down Philadelphia's throat. By the way, one of the closer calls for the Eagles this season. Remember that Dallas game? Sunday Night Football, Cooper Rush played awful. But how did Dallas get back into that game? Obviously, they got stops defensively. You know how good the Cowboys' defense is led by Micah Parsons. But they ran the ball with Zeke. Zeke had a big night in Philadelphia. They just kept running it and running it down Philadelphia's throat. Some outside carries between the tackle. And it became a three-point game going into the fourth quarter. Now, to the credit of the Eagles, they marched right back down the field. It you know made it a 10-point game, and that was all she wrote in the city of brotherly love. But Dallas to a certain degree, but certainly Houston provide the blueprint of how they beat the Eagles. You could play with them. You could try to beat them in a shootout. Pittsburgh tried that. Arizona to a certain degree tried that. Detroit tried that. It almost succeeded to their credit. Minnesota tried that and failed miserably. Build a lead. Eat the clock. Beat them at their own game. And see if they can adjust. Because Philadelphia really all season has not been put in positions to where they have been they have had to adjust. Now, again, I can't hate on a team that's sitting at 8-0 today. Then a lot of people compare them to the 2020 Steelers. They're not the 2020 Steelers. Okay, we we could see that coming from, from a mile away. Big Ben can't move in the pocket, has no arm. All right. They cannot run the ball at all. Their offensive line could protect. They were winning those ugly games due to turnovers defensively. You know, Ben would give you like one play a game, and they were barely, barely surviving some of those games. And of course, they lost the first round of the playoffs after starting 11 and 0. Philadelphia's this year is much better than that Pittsburgh team was a couple of years ago. But that doesn't make them perfect. Okay. They're not the 07 Patriots, which they eventually got beaten in by the Giants in the Super Bowls, we all know. They're not the 72 Dolphins, of course, who, you know, they're going to they're have to wait another week to, to drink that champagne, you know, that, that, that they've, they've, you know, had ready to go, which, of course, they celebrate every single year that the last undefeated team loses. But to me, Philadelphia, we, we kind of know what they are. Hertz has improved significantly. A.J. Brown, not like we didn't already know this from his days in Tennessee, but dude is a problem. A matchup nightmare because of his size, his route running ability, his speed. Devontae Smith is a good two. Devontae Smith is not a one, but he's a good two. That offensive line, arguably the best in football. They're going to be a tough out, no question about it. But the notion that they are, because they're undefeated or because they're you know a couple games, or I guess a game and a half above where the Vikings are at, does not make them unbeatable. So I think it's 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 important to point that out. Like Houston, this game was 14-14 at halftime. This was a one-score game about five minutes into the fourth quarter. Like there was reasonable doubt, like, man, Houston actually could win this game. 
And then he, Philadelphia did what Philadelphia does. They took over the game. They won. But I, I, I think overall what you're seeing uh, is, is that you, you, you look at it and you say, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. There, there's still reasonable doubt. There's still a reason about John says he wanted Moss to, to get a ring. Uh, I'm blanking right now. Moss. Uh, who, who are you? Who are you referring to? John, John to my, are you to my Randy Moss? Yeah. Randy Moss, unfortunately never got a Super Bowl ring when it was all said and done, uh, with his legendary career at the Vikings and had a rough stop in, in Oakland. Then he had was of course great with Brady with the Patriots in 07. And of course he was there and he was in San, his last stop was in San Francisco. They actually got to the Super Bowl and lost to the Ravens. Uh, are, are you, I need a little bit of clarification. Are you talking about to my Randy Moss, John, John? Yeah. Randy Moss. He was on my Randy Moss. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, he was, yeah, he was to me. Randy Moss is, is in my view in his, at his peak. I think he's the third greatest receiver of all time. The greatest ever is Jerry Rice. There's no debate. He's got every receiving record by a country mile. Nobody's going to catch Jerry Rice. T.O. is number two for me. I get the locker room stuff. He was a he was not the not the greatest teammate. Is an understatement. He was a bad teammate, but on the field, that guy was incredible. I think Randy Moss is third. Matter of fact, you if you if you push me hard enough, I might put Randy Moss over T.O. He was he was special, man. People hold the Oakland years against him, but man, give him competent quarterback play, and in one case, the greatest quarterback ever. It was a cheat code. It was it was, it was unbelievable to watch. Um, the idea yeah, he he was one of those players, man. He deserved to get a ring without a question. But speaking of, because I thought John for a half second, I thought John John was referring to a player that was in the World Series. I you know crossed my mind, but um, the World Series is three two Houston. Let's see, we got one more comment before we move on to the World Series. John John says he's got Randy too. All right. I have, I have absolutely no issue with that whatsoever. I mean, listen, th- those years with 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 Dante Culpepper, of course, the 07 year with Brady was at 25 touchdown passes. He caught, I think, literally half of Brady's at the time record 50 touchdown passes that season. Caught possibly, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people thought he caught the game when he touched down the Super Bowl with two minutes and change to go. But then Eli Manning had the game when he drive. We all know how that played out. As Michael Strahan pointed out in the sideline, that legendary, uh, that mic'd up moment where he says, 17-14 is going to be the final score. Believe it, and it will happen. And doggone it, it happened. <laughs> okay. Now, that was that was to me one of the three or four greatest Super Bowls of all time. Just because of the magnitude of the moment, Patriots trying to go unbeaten. Giants were the last team in the playoffs in the NFC. And they beat the, you know, they, they beat the Kings. You know, Tom Brady had the famous quote that week. I think the Patriots averaged like 37 points a game in the regular season. And Gosh, was it a Plaxico Burris? I think it was of the Giants, the receiver who actually caught the game when he touched down. He said that week that the Patriots were going to score 17 points. I think it was. And they asked Tom Brady about it. He said, we're only going to score 17. Actually, no, Tom, no, you're, you're only going to score a couple touchdowns. And that, that's all, uh, that's all she wrote for new England in, on that, uh, evening in, in Arizona. But man, that was, that was one of the all time Super Bowls, man. That was, that was incredible. Uh, but Philly's Astros three, two Houston. This is exactly what I thought it would be coming into the series. I said first two games would be a split. Philadelphia, would, you know, I didn't think they would come back from 5 nothing down on Justin Verlander. But given his World Series struggles, at least up to that point, I guess it shouldn't be all that surprising. But Philadelphia won game one. Houston responded in a big way in game two. 
Astros have taken two of the three in Philadelphia, which I said would happen. And what's going to happen? A lot of people are going to doubt the Phillies. It's going to be sort of a a sort of coronation type moment, if you will, for the um, for the, the the Houston Astros tomorrow night in in Houston. Nobody's going to count. Everybody's going to count the Phillies out. Put it put it on the board. Philly's going to win Game Six. Philly's going to win uh, win Game Six. I, I don't know who's on the mound for Philadelphia. They've got Zach Wheeler. Okay, so and by the, by the way, facing Framber Valdez, who was tremendous in Game Two. You guys know I think I think Framber Valdez could be a, a starter, could be a number one on a lot of teams, and he probably will be their guy next year because Justin Verlander, if I'm not mistaken, is a free agent, and good chance that at his advanced age and stage of his career, the Astros are not going to give him forty million dollars a year. So Valdez was probably going to be the Astros' guy, at least the, the main guy in that rotation moving forward. But they got Zach Wheeler, who this year has been their ace even over Aaron Nola. But part of the reason that Philadelphia has gotten the World Series, and again, it can only be sustained for so long, is the home run ball. It, it has gotten them to this point. Whether you talk about it, they, they weren't really relying on the home run ball, the first round series against uh, St. Louis, but against Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, the, the ball was flying all over the place, especially at Citizens Bank Park in, in Philadelphia. In the NLCS, what was the moment that sent Philadelphia to the World Series? Bryce Harper, homer in the eighth with two outs. That got him there. And then in game one, right, the, the homer, I think it was JT Romuto, the catcher for the, for the Phillies, hit that homer, the go-ahead homer in the 10th. Philadelphia won the game. Okay, game three, they had, was it five homers? I think it was five homers against the Houston Astros, won seven to nothing. But when the long ball's not working, and you're a little too reliant on analytics, it can cost you. And when you have the Astros with a throwback manager like Dusty Baker, who now is one win away from getting his first ever World Series ring as a manager, after Lord knows how many seasons as a manager in his his illustrious career, he's relying on getting guys on base. I mean, how, how did the Astros, it was, it was the biggest point in the game. Everybody's talking about the, the, the Pinier homer in, I think it was the fourth inning to give Houston the lead, which they never gave up. But it was the Astros putting guys on base, getting the guy across the plate to make it three to one. Of course, Philadelphia got a run in the eighth, but that was it. So, and it's what I've always said about baseball. Folks, it's why the Yankees have yet to get it to a World Series in 13 years, despite all the money they spent on free agents and even some of the money they, they've spent on getting aces like Garrett Cole. No team. By the way, it's why Tampa, outside of 2020, has struggled in the postseason. Is they are so freaking reliant on analytics and on numbers based off a 162-game slate, trying to translate that into a best-of-seven series, there's only so far that can take you. And when it's all about launch angle and all these different metrics, instead of just, bro, get on base. Changes the game. And when Philadelphia hasn't been hot in this series, they have been ice cold. That's why there were no hit in game four. That's why left a lot of men in scoring position in game five. Justin Verlander did a great job yesterday, by the way. Got his first ever World Series win. Props to him. But that's what I worry about with Philadelphia. That's what I worry about for a lot of teams. That's why I love the way my man Alex Cora, manager of my Red Sox, managed the game. Use the analytics, which you should. But don't let it make the decision for you. Don't let the front office, through the analytics, make the in-game decisions. 
some point, there's got to be a point where you trust your gut. You are the manager of a Major League Baseball team, after all. It's not many of those. Only 30 of those. And Dusty Baker's one of the best to ever do it. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And is now positioned to win his first ever World Series title. I don't think it'll happen tomorrow night. I'm sticking with my prediction before the series started. Astros in seven. It's playing out exactly the way I thought it would. Philadelphia wins tomorrow. Houston wins the series in seven in their building Sunday night. Uh, curious if, if it goes to a game seven, what's the Sunday night football game? Oh, it's, it's, it's Titans Chiefs. So that game possibly could be over quickly because the the just the mismatch there for numerous different reasons in favor of Kansas City. So if that game's over at halftime, Outside of Kansas City and Nashville, a lot of eyeballs going to be in their TVs watching that game in Houston because I mean, that will be that'll be fun, okay? Because you got the the they're not a dynasty; they only have one championship, and it's an illegitimate championship because they cheated their way to get it. But in terms of a team that has been on top of the baseball world for the last six years, and then the underdog, which Philadelphia tries to you know paint themselves in that picture. Uh, you're not Rocky, but anyways, Philadelphia, 85 wins was 80, 87 wins, 87 wins this season. Last team to get in the postseason wouldn't have gotten in the postseason a year ago because at the time it was five teams per uh, per league. Now it's six teams per league. Props to Phillies for getting here. I think they will win tomorrow, but game seven, give me the Strohs. I am an adopted Astros fan. For this World Series. I cannot, man, I cannot live in a world where Philadelphia is a world champion again. Okay, the Eagles did it in 2018. It was miserable. I made no mistake about it. Philadelphia is by a mile my least favorite sports city. I can't put New York there, even though I don't like the Yankees. Check that. In the sports context, I hate the Yankees with a passion. Truly do. But I don't hate the Jets or the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks are fun to make fun of, but I don't hate the Knicks. I The Nets are really the biggest joke in New York in terms of basketball. I mean, I don't, I don't hate the Mets. Matter of fact, the Mets are kind of an ally. The enemy of my enemy is my friend after all. That's why Mets, despite 86, we put 86 behind us, thanks to the fact that we broke the curse in 04. Talking about the Red Sox, of course. Red Sox fans, Mets fans, we're, we always have been and we always will be allies. We will always, if we, if, if, whether it be at City Field in Queens, New York, or Fenway Park in Boston, Massachusetts, we will always be in lockstep unison when the Yankees suck chance starts. Always. Forever. We're allies. I, do, I cannot live in a world where Philadelphia is a world champion again. Because we know those fans act up in a way in that city that is just flat out disgusting. You have people eating horse manure off the street. It's bad, folks. It, it really is bad. Just Google videos from the when the uh, Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2018, and you'll know what I'm talking about. I don't like Philadelphia. Not as I mean, Cl- Cleveland's up there too. I don't really like Cleveland sports at all, at all. But we have some very 
Very fascinating week nine NFL matchups. Very fascinating. Last week, I went 12-3 and with my predictions. Let's let's go and put up on the board uh, my overall record and my week eight record. 12-3, and felt confident in just about every one of my picks. Now, Cincinnati got destroyed. I thought the Rams coming off a bye would finally stick it to the 49ers in the regular season. They obviously did not. And then what, what was the other? Oh, yeah, I said Jacksonville beat the Let's Ride Broncos. They did not because Trevor Lawrence, as Trevor Lawrence has, has often done late in games, turned the football over at the very end, and that was all she wrote. And Russell Wilson, to, to his credit, did play well uh, in that football game, especially in the fourth quarter, which, you know, the day, that's, that's when it matters. But week nine NFL predictions. Here we go. We're going to start with between the Chargers and the Falcons. Chargers in this game are a three-point road favorite. This is fascinating because Keenan Allen, once again, the Chargers got some bad news on him. Over the bye week, he actually re-injured his already injured hamstring, so he's going to be at much longer than expected. So Justin Herbert is without his number one receiver. We all know about Rashawn Slater, one of the best left tackles in football, despite only being in his second year. He's gone for the year. You have other injuries to the defense, Joey Boza and company. So when you look at the Chargers, they are beat up. And I have major questions, major questions about Brandon Staley as a head coach. The man I have no questions about, and I never had a question about coming out of the draft, was Justin Herbert. We we all know what he brings to the table in terms of his talent and in terms of his leadership. But you look at Atlanta now. You look at Atlanta sitting at 4-4 atop the NFC South, which is quickly becoming the worst division in football because the fact that the tanking Panthers had a shot, if it weren't for DJ Moore losing his mind at the end of the game, and if it weren't for for Eddie Pinheiro missing a walk-off field goal in overtime, and then before that, the lead-changing extra point, Carolina being first place in the NFC South. It'd be a disaster. But, but Atlanta sits there at 4-4. Four and four. Marcus Mariota, Mariota has played very well to the point where you're like, okay, Desmond Ritter's sitting. What do you do in terms of the quarterback situation a year from now? Do you draft one of these young guys? What do you do? But Atlanta, their their identity, really throughout the, the whole history of their franchise, has always been offense. And boy, do they have pieces. Led by one of my favorite players, Drake London, who thus far has been the best rookie receiver, as much as I love Chris Olave. And I love Chris Olave. I picked him to be the offense rookie of the year. Still think he has a chance to do that. But Drake London has been sensational this season. He has proven himself already to be a true number one in this league right off the bat out of USC. Atlanta runs the ball well. They are an explosive team, can get plays down the field, can go down the field quickly on you. But because of their struggles defensively, I mean, folks, P.J. Walker, a third-string quarterback, went off against this defense. This will be tighter than expected. I would take the Falcons and the points just because they're at home. And just because this is a West Coast team playing an early East Coast game, and oftentimes I talked about last week, that favors the East Coast team. I do not think the Chargers will cover the spread, but I do have them winning this game outright. 27-26 to 26 over the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta drops down to 4-5. and five. Chargers get to 5-3, and three, at least have a chance to, to, to possibly win the AFC West. Chargers win this game 27-26 to 26 over the Atlanta Falcons. Moving on to another fascinating game. You got the Miami Dolphins, you got the Chicago Bears. Chicago, I'm sorry, Miami is favored minus four and a half. And I'm looking at this one. By the way, two teams that made big deals of a deadline. You had, of course, Miami adding Bradley Chubb, and by the way, also adding that Wilson kid, the running back from the 49ers. Liked that trade a lot. 
Okay, because you got Mike McDaniel, who is from the Kyle Shanahan system, adding a player from Kyle Shanahan. Like that's I like that move a lot. Kind of went under the radar. Of course, you had the Bears adding Chase Claypool. Although they did trade Ro- Roquan Smith. But I'm looking at this, this, this Bears team, okay? They have run it down teams' throats the last three games. Whether it be Washington, New England, or Dallas. That, last week is Dallas. If they didn't run for 300, they sure came close with the likes of, of um, Montgomery and company. They, they've been excellent. Justin Fields has had his moments. Uh, he played, obviously, tremendous in that New England game. Brought what looked to be a blowout against the Cowboys, against that defense. Brought it to win the five-point game until Dak Prescott and Micah Parsons took over, and that was that. But you add another weapon in Chase Claypool. Okay, to go along with Darnell Mooney, to go along with guys like Cole Komet, the Bears are slowly but surely building a little bit of a receiving core for Justin Fields. I still think they need to add a receiver in the draft, and I would not be mad if they went after a big name in free agency. And so it seemed like the Bears are start, sort of starting to trend in the right direction. Their pass defense up until the Cowboys game was ranked second in the NFL, second only to the Green Bay Packers. So don't expect this to be a game where necessarily Tua is just flinging it all over the yard. I thought about picking the Chicago Bears. I'm not taking Miami to cover the spread. But I looked at the weather. Chicago weather, we know it can be a problem. And the high is 64 degrees. If it were a situation, for whatever reason, around the country, folks, we're having a heat wave, okay, around early November. Where I'm at in Tennessee, we're going to have an 80-degree day soon. This isn't Miami. This is Tennessee. But... The weather doesn't look like it's going to be a huge problem. So with that said, I'm going to take the Miami Dolphins to win this game. Keep in mind, Justin Fields, most sacked quarterback in the NFL. Miami is an already good pass rush that added Bradley Chubb. That's going to be a big problem. The Bears' offensive line has been simply atrocious. Dolphins win this game 31-28 to over the Chicago Bears, although I do not think the Dolphins will cover the four-and-a-half-point spread. Moving on to another game, you got the Carolina Panthers. You've got the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals are favored minus seven, despite coming off of that thrashing at the hands of their arch-rival Cleveland Browns. Stay in the state of Ohio. Of course, we know Jamar Chase is out. I detail, I talked about the Bengals yesterday. I talked about Zach Taylor in particular. The Bengals have shown a really, really bad trend over their first eight games of season. They seem to really completely abandon the run or not even really commit to the run despite last week missing their best wide receiver. And it's not like you, you have a bum. You got Joe Mixon back there. The offensive line, which has been heavily maligned by myself and others over the past few years, for what it's worth, they're pretty good in run blocking. The terrible in pass protection, we know that. But they're pretty good in run blocking. So being able to help Joe Burrow out a little bit. It's a short week. They are at home. Carolina feels like a team that the, the little bit of hope that they had last week from the incredible touchdown from P.J. Walker to D- D.J. Moore, which we thought would give them the lead. It did not, of course, due to multiple events that we've already detailed on the show. It just feels like Carolina's kind of in the tank. Not, not just the fact that I think that they're literally tanking at this point, at least the organization is, not the players or coaches, but I just feel like they're they're they're... Their momentum, whatever momentum that they had, is just in the tank right now. They got to go on the road again. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To a team in Cincinnati that just got embarrassed on national television. Anytime that happens, pick the team that just got embarrassed. If they don't win to at least cover, I think the Bengals will do both. Give me Cincinnati to win this game 28-17 to over the Carolina Panthers. Bengals win this game, get back to a winning record at 5-4, and four, and give themselves at least a chance in that AFC North. Bengals win 28-17 to over Carolina. Here's a game that I have been looking at since before the season started. It's the Green Bay Packers. It's the Detroit Lions. This is an NFC North match. Green Bay is favored in this game minus three and a half, which I feel like, by the way, is a perfect spread. I think Vegas got it right on the money with this one. We know Green Bay has lost four straight games. They have looked pretty bad in almost all of them. Although I will say offensively, despite some of the guys that they missed, uh, that they had put up a decent performance. They, Aaron Jones was excellent in that game. Packers ran for over 200 yards. And that's what I kind of look at in this game for Green Bay. Is there going to be the temptation with all the weapons that Aaron Rodgers has gone? But you look at Detroit and you say, okay, they've got one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL. Is Matt LaFleur as clueless as he's proven to be? Is he going to be tempted to say, okay, let's beat their weakness? Or you could just rely on your strength, which is Aaron Jones, which is J.J. Dillon behind a tremendous offensive line. Make it a little easier for Aaron Rodgers in regards to second and short, third and manageable. He is Aaron Rodgers, after all. He is declining, clearly, but this is still a guy who's won the last two league MVPs. He is still elite. And so the question for Green Bay going this game is, will they stick to their strength or will they go weakness on weakness? That's going to tell me a lot about Matt LaFleur, where the Packers are at. Of course, they did not make a deal at the trade deadline for a wide receiver, which a lot of people, I'm sure even Aaron Rodgers included, hoped that they would do. They did not. But Detroit, I was going to pick Detroit coming into the week. Until they traded TJ Hawkinson. That move, especially trading him to Minnesota. Folks, listen, I don't want to overvalue the tight end position, but... Great tight ends don't come around but every once in a while. And TJ Hawkinson, look at his numbers, look at his production in a Lions uniform. Has absolutely exceeded his draft position as high as he was drafted out of tight end U, the University of Iowa. Trading him into a division rival, the Vikings? That's enough for me to, to not pick the Lions, just out of pure stupidity. Give me the Packers to win this game. I don't think they cover. Uh, listen, take the underdogs this week, folks. Packers win this game 24-21. to 21. They always tend to underachieve in Detroit, if not in some cases lose. They actually lost last year in Detroit, albeit in a Week 18 game that had, didn't have a whole lot of meaning. But give me the Packers to win this game 24-21 to 21 over the Detroit Lions. It is now time for my upset of the week. Give me the Indianapolis Colts to beat the New England Patriots 23-19 in Foxborough, despite the fact that the Patriots are six-point favorites, and here is why. What do we know about Bill Belichick? That's why I picked the Patriots last week to beat the Jets. Man, he eats young quarterbacks alive. His defenses just swarm all over the field, making plays. Like Zach Wilson had a miserable afternoon last week against New England in the Meadowlands. 
Sam, El Sam Ellinger, while clearly not as talented as Zach Wilson, is not the typical turnover machine that you see in a lot of young quarterbacks. He's a little older, right? He, he played a long time at the University of Texas, did a good job there. Now he's the guy in Indianapolis. I think he will be, he'll turn the ball over, I think, at least once in this game. As long as it's not in the red zone, which I don't think it will be. What do we know about the New England Patriots and Mac Jones in particular? The guy that everybody loves. He's the second coming of Tom Brady. A lot of people love Mac Jones. He is tied for last in touchdown passes. He is tied for second to last in picks. He has the 29th ranked QBR in the league. 0 to 100, by the way. QBR is 0 to 100. Mac Jones is a QBR 33.5. And he is 30th in passing yards. He does not push the ball down the field. He's inefficient. He's inaccurate. And he has proven himself to be a turnover machine. I said that I wouldn't criticize Mac Jones this season because of the fact that his offensive coordinator is a defensive coach and a special teams coach. Here's where I change. I have the right to change my opinion, just like everybody does. Every, listen, you can change your opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. Until... Bailey Zappi stepped in and balled out with these same weapons. And it wasn't like a situation where it's like Cooper Rush, game managing, right? Not turn the ball over, playing it safe. No, 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 no. Dude was dropping like 30 points on Cleveland, who has a great pass rush and a great secondary. Okay, dude had a back-to-back -back scoring drive against the second-ranked pass defense in the league in the Chicago Bears. And now, Mac Jones steps in. And is once again turning the ball over constantly. He's going to give Indianapolis a couple of short fields. They will take advantage. You know, this field, listen, desperate times call for desperate measures. Anytime an NFL team is desperate, these are prideful dudes. Okay. They don't want to lose. This is a situation where the Colts know. You look at the stuff if, if you're an NFL player. The Titans are on the road in Kansas City. Nobody thinks they're going to win that game. Colts are like, okay, Titans lose, we win. We're a game and a half back in the division. We still got a chance. I think they do it, still have a chance. But once again, my upset of the week, give me the Indianapolis Colts to shock the New England Patriots. Patriots will fall back down below 500. Indianapolis wins despite being six-point underdogs, 23-19. to 19. We are going to stick in the AFC East with an AFC East battle between the New York Jets, who are hosting the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo in this game is favored at minus 11.5 on the road, despite the fact the Jets sit there at 5-3. and three. Shocking, I think, everybody, including Jets fans, including my man Alfred Parsons Jr. Shout out to the Rocket Fuel Jets podcast. Y'all go check that out on the Grid Network. But if it has to do for this reason. A, Jets injuries. Brings Hall out, Elijah Vera Tucker out. Big, big losses for him. You have the whole weird Elijah Moore situation, which is just toxic, honestly. But you have Buffalo coming in, having just, you know, had a, an uneven performance against the Packers. Great first half, very shaky second half against Green Bay at home. We travel to the Meadowlands to take on the Jets, okay? Zach Wilson, similar to what I was saying about Mac Jones, probably even more so than Mac Jones, is a flat-out turnover machine. Robert Sala, the head coach of the Jets, has done a great job, at least through this through that winning streak the Jets had, and getting to 5-2 and two before that loss last week to the Patriots of masking Zach Wilson as much as possible. Folks, we saw the Bears do it with Mitch Trubisky. We've seen a lot of teams do this, where they kind of 
kind of shelter their quarterback a little bit. Don't put them in positions to make mistakes, which we know Zach Wilson is more than capable of making. That was never a question. We knew he, he could make mistakes. Questions, could he avoid those? This season, just like last year, no, he is not. Going against a Buffalo defense, in which I don't know if he's playing this week. Uh, I'm going to check the injury report real quick. Tredavious White might be returning this week from the pop list, from the physically unable to perform list. Uh, it appears... I don't see him on the injury report, so he could be playing. Jordan Poirier is out, but I see this for the Jets with the injuries they have at wide receiver and at running back. This is going to be a long afternoon for one Zach Wilson, Mr. Stelio Mama. Give me the Buffalo Bills. It went 28-10 to in blowout fashion over the Jets. I think the Jets' defense, their front seven has been excellent this season. I think they make it at least close, get a little bit of pressure on Josh Allen. Okay, we'll see if the Buffalo Bills can, can develop any sort of run game to help their quarterback. Ultimately, it will be the big plays down the field to guys like Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, that will help the Bills in the end. Give the Buffalo Bills to beat the Jets 28-10. Moving on to our next game, we've got an interesting one, okay? we got the, the Minnesota Vikings taking on the Washington Commanders. I considered making this uh, my if I were a betting man game, but I'm looking at this. Minnesota is favored minus three on the road in Washington. Commanders all of a sudden seem like they have a pulse. They're going through straight games. They won in Chicago. They won against Green Bay. And then last week, a big win on the road in Indianapolis, led by a game-winning drive by my man, Taylor Heineke. My favorite low-end starter, high-end backup in the NFL. We know about the drama surrounding Washington. We know about the fact that Dan Snyder is now in trouble for, looks like, some tax issues, which seems like that's that's how all the, the crooks get, get busted is taxes. But... Off-field off issues with Washington aside, because they always have those. It's, it's Washington. It's, it's Dan Snyder. Why are we surprised? But Washington's offense has seemed to have a little bit more of fluidity to it without Carson Wentz and with Taylor Heineke. And some of that is the fact that he was their guy last year. They build a rapport with him. They know him. They know how he plays the game. And I said when Carson Wentz went down and went on IR, he will not have his starting job by the time he gets healthy. Is Taylor Heineke better than Carson Wentz? I don't think he is, but he's certainly better in this commander's offense. He's not as turnover prone. He's proven to be more accurate. Heck, his teammates seem to kind of like him better. And leadership, we know, matters significantly at the quarterback position. It's why I've been critical of guys like Rodgers, Kyler, and Baker. So, I look at Washington. They've run the ball well. Taylor, uh, Terry McLaurin in the receiving game, once again, dude is phenomenal. Dude makes catches every week. Like, how is that even possible? He, he is one of the most – he's like with Mark Andrews, the tight end for the Ravens, in one of the most underrated players in the NFL. I love Terry McLaurin. If he could get himself an elite quarterback, the numbers that this guy would put up would be incredible. But Minnesota's coming in this game. They get pressure on the quarterback. If I'm not mistaken, I think the Vikings are leading football in sacks. Okay? The Zadarius Smith pickup is why the Packers let him go. I don't get it. It's the best pass rush. You pay your pass rushers. That is one of the premium positions. You pay your quarterbacks, you pay your left tackles, and you pay your pass rushers. They just let them walk out. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch -ch 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And he's terrorizing quarterbacks as a member of the Minnesota Vikings. That defensive line as a whole has been great. I think it's going to be a mismatch for Washington's bad offensive line. Give me the Minnesota Vikings to win this game over the Washington Commanders. 31-20. Minnesota wins over Washington. 31-20 in our nation's capital. Uh, moving on to the next game. Is it? No, it's not Bryce's league bad. That's for a couple games down the road. Last uh, uh, early game, early window game, it's the Las Vegas Raiders is the Jacksonville Jaguars. It is two teams that I've picked a lot this season and as and I've gotten burned on numerous times. So something's got to give. Something has got to give. You got two two-win teams. Raiders with a miserable performance last week. I picked the Saints to beat the, the, the Raiders in my Bryce's League bet pick last week. I did not see 24-zip with Devontae Adams having three receiving yards. And Derek Carr barely struggling to throw for 100 yards. I love Derek Carr, but that was bad. That was bad. Even against that defense, that's bad. So you're going on the road to play Jacksonville, okay? You got a Jacksonville Jaguars defense that has played pretty well, that has held teams to 20 or less points in, in a lot of instances, okay? You've got Trevor Lawrence, who has really struggled with the turnovers. Jacksonville's issue is not coaching. It's not, you know, scheming. It's not any of that. They're moving the ball down the field fine. That's not their problem. Their problem has been, dang it, Trevor Lawrence in the most inopportune of times turns the football over, particularly in the red zone. I know people get tired of me saying this, but I said Jacksonville's a six-win team, and the majority of their 11 losses will be close. Eventually, they got to win one at some point. They're at two now. They need to get to six. Raiders are sitting there, I think, with no momentum. I don't I don't think this locker room buys Josh McDaniels at all. I certainly never did when he was hired by the Raiders. I thought, check the, check the tape. I said they should have kept Rich Basaccia as their guy. Josh McDaniels has once again proven to be in over his head as a head coach, yet another coordinator who was made by an elite quarterback. And, of course, Tom Brady. Without Brady, what is Josh McDaniels? A failure. Not as just an offensive coordinator, but really as a head coach. So I'm going to take the Jaguars. I'm probably going to regret this later. Should have made this Bryce's League bet. But I'm going to take the Jaguars to win this game 26-23 to over the Las Vegas Raiders. Man, I picked Vegas to make the playoffs. I have sold, just like I did with Denver, who I picked to win the Super Bowl. Jeez, that was a bad pick. But I have sold my stock in the Las Vegas Raiders. It is now time for Bryson's Bleak Bet. It is the one game that I predict every week that I have little to no confidence in. But hey, we got to predict them all, right? Gotta predict them all. And it actually happens to be an NFC West matchup between the Seattle Seahawks, the story of the NFL, being Geno Smith, on the road to face a struggling Arizona Cardinals team. This was a tough one. Arizona, by the way, in this game is a two-point favorite. The Arizona offense since Kyler Murray's come, I'm sorry, since DeAndre Hopkins has come back from a six-game suspension has looked completely different, of course, than it looked beforehand. And when you have a guy who's a top-five receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, that tends to be the case, especially with the quarterback with the talent of Kyler Murray. The Arizona, their problem, late in games, they have been awful in late-game situations. Look at the Philadelphia game. Look at last week against Minnesota. Whether it be Kyler Murray, whether it be uh, Cliff Kingsbury, they have struggled late game situations. Whether it be with time management, whether it be Kyler Murray taking awful, awful sacks at the end of games, Arizona struggled a lot in that regard. But again, it goes back to the it's why I picked the Colts to upset the New England Patriots. The desperation factor matters in the NFL. 
everybody's going to take Seattle and the points, which, by the way, can't say I blame you. The way Geno Smith is playing, the rapport he has with Tyler Lockett and with DK Metcalf, the way they've run the ball uh, with that really improved offensive line, and uh, a Kenneth Walker, the defense, which has taken a big step forward. Everything tells you that Seattle, being at home, given the fact that DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray have picked right up where they left off. They've been great the two games since he has been back. I'm going to take the Cardinals. I'm not confident in it at all. Betting on Kyler Murray is not, has a, you know, if I were a betting man, which is about to, to, to announce, would not win me a whole lot of money. Nevertheless, though, I'm going to take the Arizona Cardinals to beat the Seattle Seahawks by a final score of 27 to 21. That is, that is Bryce's big bet, and I don't feel good about it at all. At all. Because I didn't pick Arizona to make the playoffs before the season started. It is now time for my favorite segment of the week. We're a betting man. We're a betting man. I'm looking at a, a game that we all had scheduled on the on our calendar before the season started. A playoff rematch. And what was a crazy playoff game. A wild comeback. The Los Angeles Rams and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The last two Super Bowl champions squaring off in Tampa Bay, Florida. Tampa in this game is a field goal favorite. So they're essentially saying that this is a pickup. Both teams come in with little to no momentum. The question is, who has more momentum than the other? I'm looking at Tampa and I'm saying, okay, they're coming off of a bye. Todd Bowles is a brilliant defensive coach. It didn't show last week against the likes of Lamar Jackson. We know Lamar Jackson is a significantly better playmaker and, frankly, a quarterback than Matt Stafford. Cooper Cup is beat up. We're not even sure if he's going to play. If there's no Cooper Cup, where on earth is Matthew Stafford going to go with the football? How many times is he going to turn it over against what is a still, I think, very good Tampa Bay defense? We all know about Tom's home situation. That has been taken care of. We'll move past that. But I think maybe because of that, maybe his mind is clearer. Now it's about focusing on football. How do we finish the season? How do we win the division, get in the playoffs, and try to make a Super Bowl run? The extra few days off, the extra time to game plan for a vulnerable is not even scratching the surface about what this Rams team has looked like. Matt Stafford this season, folks, has been one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL, okay? He is last in the NFL. I'm sorry, he's first in interceptions, which is you don't ever want to be first in that category. He is 18th in QBR. He is 22nd in touchdown passes. He is 14th in pass yards. Matt Stafford has been awful this season. And I regret buying stock back in him after that Super Bowl run because of those clutch fourth quarter comebacks in the playoffs, one of them coming against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This feels like a little bit of an ugly game back and forth, but I think Tampa Bay takes control in the fourth quarter. If I were a betting man, I would take the Buccaneers minus three. Tampa Bay wins this one 20 to 13 over the Los Angeles Rams. I do think Brady will bounce back from the way he played last week and really the last few weeks against the likes of the Ravens and, and Carolina and company and Pittsburgh. And even with 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 a, a Rams defense, which has had its moments this season, I think Tom kind of picks up the the old Tom Brady that we have seen in years past in the fourth quarter of this game. If I were a betting man, I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus three to beat the Los Angeles Rams twenty to thirteen in this playoff rematch. Last game on Sunday, at least, of course, we got the Monday night game featuring the Ravens and the Saints. But last game of the week features the Tennessee Titans and the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City, a big favorite at home. Minus 12 and a half. How many times 
have we seen? I, I'd like to know this, just out of curiosity. This seems like an ESPN level stat. You know that ESPN brings out the most random stats ever. This one I'd actually like to know. How many teams have won five straight games and they're double-digit underdogs? Because that's what the Tennessee Titans are. And it's large part because of what they got at the quarterback position. It does not appear Ryan Tannehill is going to play. He did not practice yesterday after having a limited practice on Wednesday. Malik Willis, you guys know I really liked Malik Willis. Didn't love him, but I liked him out of the draft, uh, coming out of uh, out of Liberty. I liked him more as a prospect than I liked Kenny Pickett. Yeah, he was pretty bad. He was pretty bad against the Houston Texans. Six for 10. 55 yards. A pick. Passer rating of 35. A QBR. 0 to 100. QBR. A 4. So he gets pretty bad. Good news for the Titans is they've got King Henry, who ran for 200 yards, which, by the way, I said he would do, over the Houston, Texas defense. But here's the problem when it comes to running the ball. When you're down, you got to throw the ball a lot, that becomes a problem. And you got Kansas City. They got two plus, I'm sorry, three pluses in their advantage. Aside from the fact that they have Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid. They're at home at Arrowhead Stadium, one of the hardest places to win the NFL. They're coming off of a bye week, which Andy Reid coming off a bye, just go and put the L on your schedule right there. And three, they just added Cadavis Tony. Just added Tony from the New York Giants. Man, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes might get everybody work. You think Tony's going to be any different with his speed, his versatility? Really, the question with him has been health. He got injured a lot at, in college at Florida. He's had injury problems with the Giants. You cross your fingers if you're a Chiefs fan that this isn't the case in Kansas City. But given Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes' history of making just about everybody work, Darius Tony, expect him to have a big game against the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee, I think, is going to fall behind this game quickly. Kansas City tends to always play great at home in prime time. Give me the Chiefs. I should have taken this as if I were a Batman now that I think about it. But nevertheless, give me the Chiefs 38-20 to 20 over the Tennessee Titans. And it won't, trust me, the scoreboard won't even be in, indicative of how lopsided it will be. Tennessee will get a couple of late touchdowns when the game is already out of reach. But I would take the Chiefs to cover that 12.5 point spread and win over the Tennessee Titans in this game. Yeah, definitely take Kansas City to win because this 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 could be this could be ugly. This could be really ugly. But as interesting as the NFL games are, and they really are, they they are they're fascinating. And you got the World Series this weekend. I'm not gonna mention the fact. I'm gonna try and keep keep away from the fact that my Warriors are three and five. I'm sorry, three and six. And probably about to be three and seven because Steph, Clay, Draymond, and Wiggins, none of them are playing tonight because they're on the second half of a back-to-back against a Minnesota, I'm sorry, Minnesota team. A New Orleans team that I think is very good. I think is going to win a playoff series. Zion's playing out of his mind. Brandon Ingram is as well, coming back from concussion protocol. Okay, I'll mention this about the Warriors before I do my last um prediction of the day. Tennessee, Georgia. I don't know what's happened. Actually, I do know what's happened. Golden State seems to be allergic to defense. Now, for the record, most teams are this early in the season. We're two and a half weeks in. It is, it's an 82-game season. Golden State is nine games in. Long, long, long way to go. But this season, Golden State 
has given up. Okay. 109, 128, 125, 134, 110, 120, 128, 116, and against the one win Orlando Magic. The Golden State Warriors gave up 130 points. Now, I'll give credit where credit's due. A lot of people weren't, weren't high on Paolo Bancaro. They're like, why on earth would the Magic take him over Jabari Smith? Who, by the way, I picked to win Rookie of the Year. Jabari Smith, I said for the season, he was my Rookie of the Year. But thus far, Paolo Bancaro is the front runner. Dude is balling out, averaging over 20 a game. He's been efficient. He's got to clean up the turnovers a little bit, but he's a rookie. That'll, you know, that'll come with time. But it's still Orlando. And this, this is still the defending champion, Golden State Warriors. My Golden State Warriors, who in the second half against the Magic gave up 77 points against the Magic. By the way, at one point in the game, held a 16-point lead. Steph Curry dropped 39. Klay Thompson, by the way, finally played very well. Hit, I think, four or five threes-pointers, I think it was. Klay played excellent. Draymond was good, despite fouling out. The issue with Golden State, the fouls have been out of control. The Magic, I think, were plus 31 in the free throw shooting department. You can't blame that all on the rest, folks. There's too many fouls. It's too many fouls on the part of Golden State. A lot of it is the young guys. Moses Moody has played well, and I said, folks, that Moses Moody, of the young guys, to me, would be the best player. Jonathan Kaminga is still very young, and James Wiseman, folks. Listen, I get he's coming off of an injury from a year ago, but, bro, this is unacceptable. You're struggling to rebound the ball at seven feet tall. You're giving us nothing offensively. That got to clean this up. This is bad. Jonathan Kaminga isn't playing that many minutes. Frankly, I kind of get why. He hasn't been good defensively. He's fouled too much. And offensively, he's a bad shooter. And it's frustrating. We have a starting lineup, which is one of the better in the NBA, that's building these leads, building a 16-point lead. The bench gives it up. Draymond Green pointed out as such last night. He's talking about like, guys, we're the bench has got to be better. The young guys, man, y'all got to be better. And they do. This is bad. The fact that they've had, is it 230-point games? A couple situations where teams came close. Pistons dropped 128. So did the Nuggets. Kings dropped 125. Come on now. And they're going to lose tonight, okay, because they're they're resting all their guys and playing a very good uh, New Orleans Pelicans team. So by, by night's end, Golden State is going to be three and seven. And Steve Kerr has always been, defense, defense has always been his identity. You got to fix this ASAP if you're my Golden State Warriors. It's, it's unacceptable. Okay, I, I get you're not going to be sharp to start the season. Man, that's understandable. That's, that happens to every team. But... Defense, especially with some of the young guys, and it makes even even more mad the fact that Golden State let Gary Payton walk out the back door. That that's frustrating. But this is bad. They they have got to fix their defense. Got to. The fact that by the end of the night, the Los Angeles Lakers could have a better record than Golden State makes me sick to my stomach. I didn't want to think about it for more than two seconds. What I do want to think about for way more than two seconds is the fact we have some great college football this weekend. 
great college football. Um, not as many ranked matchups as we've had in, in, in weeks past. Got an interesting matchup between Texas and, and Kansas State. Texas is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll probably take the the Longhorns to win that game. Wake Forest and C State play. But the two games I'm fascinated by both coming the SEC, and that's because they're both top-ten matchups. You've got Alabama taking on LSU in Baton Rouge. Okay, Bama in this game is favored minus 13-and-a-half. Especially for a college game, I don't hate the line. I mean, if I were a betting man, I wouldn't bet it. I wouldn't touch that game with a 10-foot pole. Because Bama's clearly better than LSU. I think LSU at 10 is just a little high. A little high. But nevertheless, LSU still controls their own destiny in terms of trying to get to Atlanta, trying to get to the SEC championship game. And what do we know about the Alabama Crimson Tide from the last two seasons? A, they've been heavily penalized. B, they have struggled. On the road. I mean, last year against uh, Texas A&M, who didn't do anything last year, they lost. Last year at Auburn, Auburn didn't even less than Texas A&M. That game went to four overtimes. It took Bryce Young having the game of his life, the fourth quarter of his life, the drive of his life, pulling a John Elway to win that game. This year at Texas, bad performance. Okay, listen, Texas is, is better than we, we, we thought they'd be coming into this season. They're not in the same class as Alabama. If, if Quinn Ewers doesn't get hurt for Texas, I think the Longhorns win that game. With as many penalties as Alabama had, the fact that they turned the ball over, struggled to move it down the field, Texas wins that game if, if Quinn Ewers is healthy. It took, once again, Bryce Young pulling his heroics to win that game for, for Alabama. You have on the road against my Vols, lost. Which, by the way, isn't that bad on your resume, if I do say so myself, against the number one team in the country. It doesn't look all that bad on your resume. But be that as it may, Bama has really struggled on the road this season. So in Baton Rouge, this feels like a game that could be really, really tight as we go on as the game progresses. I'm taking Alabama to win. Make no mistake about it. I think Alabama's going to win the game. But if you are a betting man or a betting woman, I'd at least consider taking LSU in the points. I'd at least consider it. As bad as the as the Crimson Tide have been on the road. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there. They're obviously better than LSU, and I think LSU is a little overrated in terms of where the committee put them. But I'm, I don't, man, I don't know if I'd take Alabama in Las Vegas to win. Maybe to win outright, but... I don't know. This is interesting. This is interesting. I'm pulling for LSU. I'd, if my balls get to, to Atlanta, I'd much rather see LSU than Alabama. Okay, we'd be LSU in bat, Baton Rouge. 40 to 13. I'm not scared of the Tigers. Bama? Listen, this, it is still Alabama. They're not the, the Alabama of old. Without a shadow of a doubt, they are clearly the third best team in the SEC behind Tennessee and Georgia. But it is still Alabama, and that still was a three-point game. I'm sorry, that was still a tie game in Knoxville with 15 seconds to go. If Will Riker misses, makes that field goal, listen, Tennessee gets down the field quickly, but I don't know if they get down the field that quickly to give my man Chase McGrath a shot at the walk-off field goal. But, you know, Hinton Hooker with his Heisman moment did that. Maybe Hinton Hooker's true Heisman moment comes tomorrow, and that's where I really want to get at. The big game, the one that everybody's going to be watching, the biggest game of the college football season. 
my University of Tennessee volunteers feature, I'm featuring, featuring my University of Tennessee volunteers on the road against the defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. Both teams sitting at 8-0. Vols are, are the number one ranked in the country. Georgia is third ranked in the country in the uh, playoff poll, which, by the way, coming into this week, remember I made my playoff predictions on, on Monday, what, how I thought the playoff committee would or should, not would, but should sort it out. Top three was exactly what I think it should be. Tennessee's one, Ohio State two, Georgia three. Now, how Michigan is below Clemson makes no no sense to me, but that's another discussion for another day that we can have on this show. But Georgia in this game is an eight-and-a-half-point favorite against the number one team in the country. I don't have an issue with Georgia being the favorite. I really don't. They're at home. They've tended to play very well at home. And, folks, they're they're 8-0 in the defending national champions. I, I'm fine with them being the favorite in this game. That, that doesn't bother me as a Tennessee fan. It bothers me that they're favored by over a touchdown. It's just like what I said with Tennessee and Alabama coming into that game when I predicted that game. Alabama was favored by, it was like, it, it shifted between 9, 9.5, went back and forth. I said, folks, Las Vegas is literally driving to your front front door and placing money at your doorstep. They are giving it to you if you take Tennessee in the points. If you, if you don't think Tennessee's going out right, it's fine. But take Tennessee the points. They're, they're giving you money. Same situation here. They are giving you money to take Tennessee in the points. Okay? Here's what I'm looking at, though. Georgia's defense thus far has been the best in the country. They've given up, on average, 10 points a game. Here's the only issue, though. couple issues with, with Georgia defensively. First of all, name the explosive offense that they played outside of Oregon, who, by the way, how impressive of a win is that? 49-3 to against an Oregon team that still has an outside chance, maybe, to make the college football playoff. They do play in the Pac-12, after all. That is a very tough conference. Oregon, there's a, Oregon needs some things to break their way. But Oregon absolutely could still get in the college football playoff. And Georgia whacked them 49 to 3. That's very impressive. But since then, I mean, Sanford, South Carolina, South Carolina was a little better, but they weren't early in the season. They gave up 22 to Kent State, 22 to Missouri, Auburn, Vanderbilt, Florida. These aren't exactly like world beaters offensively out here. And despite this, this this Georgia defense averaging 10 points a game. They got to face Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt, Cedric Tillman, and company. Jabari Small, Jalen Wright, Brew McCoy, Prince of Fant, list goes on and on. My Vols this season. 59 points, 34 points, 63 points, 38 points, 40 points, 52 points, 65 points, 44 points. Tennessee has scored 30 or more points dating back to last season, in 11 straight games. And they played some good defenses in there. Florida's pretty good defensively. Bama, while not Alabama of, of past, that's that's without a doubt. Their secondary is not very good. Tennessee exposed that. But they're no pushover. Pitt has a very good defense, led by a tremendous pass rush. LSU, by the way, outstanding defense. Tennessee hung 40 on them in Baton Rouge. Tennessee's going to score over 30 in this game. 
And the question for Georgia is, and it comes down to this, because Georgia's got the weapons. Brock Bowers is the best tight end in college football. We know Georgia can run it right down your throat, which scares me a little bit because Tennessee isn't very good at stopping the run. Jameer Gibbs had a field day for Alabama against Tennessee a few weeks ago. Georgia's offensive line is what it always is, dominant, which they're going to need against the Tennessee pass rush, which is number one in the SEC in quarterback pressures, led by Byron Young. Tennessee's secondary has taken advantage of poor throws by guys like Will Levis, Bryce Young, and company. So I sit back and I look at Tennessee, and I sit back and look at the quarterback matchup, Hinton Hooker versus Stetson Bennett. We know where the advantage goes there. Can Stetson Bennett get into a shootout with Hendon Hooker? I have serious doubts. I have been a Stetson Bennett doubter, a Bennett doubter, a strong, a proud Stetson Bennett doubter for the last two years. This is the opportunity, I think, for Georgia to possibly get exposed. If they fall behind early, if it's 10 to nothing Tennessee, if it's 14 to 3 Tennessee, and Georgia's got to play from behind, Alabama can play from behind. Tennessee was up 18. People forget. People talk about, oh, this is the game of the college football season. For a while, you know, it was looking like it might not be the case. It looks like Tennessee was going to roll the tide. No pun intended. But the tide at Bryce Young. Okay, they, they have one of the premier quarterback talents in college football. Georgia does not. Tennessee will not even cover the spread. They will win this game convincingly. 38 to 28. Tennessee over Georgia. Even if you don't pick Tennessee to win, which I think you're wrong, that's fine. Even if you're not picking Tennessee to win the game, folks, take Tennessee in the points. Vegas is giving you money. When you're talking about an offense that can drop 30 points a game, which I think they'll drop 38 on the best defense in the country in Georgia, on the road in Athens, Stetson Bennett and that Georgia offense is incapable of getting into a shootout with Tennessee. When, when Tennessee, if Tennessee is able to take Georgia out of their strength, which is the running game, similar to what Missouri did. Remember, Missouri kind of took Georgia out of their comfort zone, led up until about five minutes left in the game. Missouri. Kent State trailed by only nine on the road in Athens heading into the fourth quarter. Georgia simply, the matchups do not, matchups dictate the game. Matchups dictate any sport. They favor Tennessee. Georgia's defense has been very opportunistic to their credit. They do get to the quarterback. Their linebacking core, once again, is outstanding. Although they are missing one of their, their, their best linebacker for the year. He just tore, I think, his pectoral muscle. Huge loss for the dogs. I think it's going to pay, you know, it's, it's going to help Tennessee. Tennessee wins this game 38 to 20. Let me go and put up the final score one more time. Here we go. Tennessee wins this game 38-28 to over Georgia and will obviously, because of the win, retain their spot as the number one team in the country. And that will unofficially clinch our spot for the first time in 15 years in Atlanta, Georgia, for the SEC championship game. Because if you look at Tennessee's schedule moving forward, it's Tennessee will win convincingly in all three. Missouri at home. Then you got South Carolina. South Carolina is a, a good team. South Carolina has played very well this season, given their expectations. But they will smoke South Carolina, and then God knows what they will do to Vanderbilt in, in the state capitol uh, on the last, last day of the college football regular season. Tennessee will beat Georgia 38-28. to 28.
And with that, that is all the time I have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving It Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time on Facebook Live, YouTube, and on Twitter. Also be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe. Hit that big red subscribe button to the Carving It Up podcast on YouTube. Also, check out the Grid Podcast Network. Carving Up is brought to you by the Grid. G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network on YouTube. Subscribe. You know, see the other creators, guys like Barry Grant Jr., the All Even Podcast, Alfred Parsar Jr. with the Rocket Fuel Podcast. You've got Ryan Flowers with Clutch Sports Talk. You've got Patrick Brown with the Chaotic Sports Podcast, who, by the way, I'm going to be doing an IG Live with on Sunday, so be sure to stay tuned for that. Um, me, and my, me and my man Patrick Brown, the host of the Chaotic Sports Podcast, be sure to check that out on Sunday after the Rams versus Bucks game. So a lot to discuss, lots to talk about in Monday's show. But be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe to Carving It Up to the Grid Network. And that is actually where you can find the Carving It Up podcast on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcast on the Grid Network. Find Carving It Up on the Grid Network on all your podcasting platforms to listen to the show. So hope everybody has a great weekend. I know I will. My, my balls are beating the dogs, beating the defending national champions in Athens. Book it. That's what we do. We are number one. We will stay that way. I'm going to have a great weekend. I hope you guys do the same. Stay safe out there. God bless you all. Peace out. Hooker for Heisman, baby. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. Be sure to click that big red subscribe button and go check out the other clips and full shows of Carving It Up Live. Have a blessed day. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.